Do you think you can beat Ferrari? Big business and the government are working together. All I have are negative thoughts. They're walking into a trap. I'm working on a novel. I'll never get to really be his parent. Call me Miles, put it there. Hollywood is queuing up to celebrate its best movies, and as it does, watch those films reflect our lives right back to us. Everything from mental illness, family, marriage, coming of age, war and evil. Today on Context, film critics and experts weigh in on the 92nd Academy Awards. Plus, the long road to getting Christian identity in film. Far from the Oscar spotlight, but no less controversial, the American anti-abortion film Unplanned is causing heated debate in Canada again. Movie night begins now. Marriage and Netflix make a big hit at the upcoming Oscars. The executive producer of the annual Toronto Film Critic Association Award Gala is Brian Johnson. Brian's with us. He watches over 50 films during awards season. And he's also the film critic for Maclean's magazine. So, Brian, let's start with Marriage Story. Uh, this has kind of caught everybody by surprise how much buzz this movie has getting. Well, it's a rare thing, marriage story. You know, when we go to the movies, we're often looking for a big, escapist, larger-than-life, expansive cinematic films. Marriage story is the opposite of that. It's very interior. It really revolves around these two characters, played by Adam Driver and Scarlett Johansson. And it takes us on a granular, intimate level into the heart, not of a marriage so much, but of a divorce. And, I mean, I haven't been through a divorce, but everybody I know who has been through a divorce and who has seen this film relates to it on a very intense level. It seems to really get um, at the heart of an emotional conflict uh, where the stakes are incredibly high and just the amount of sort of, the amount of affection that is being lost or betrayed uh, uh, is extraordinary. The other thing that's amazing about Marriage Story is that it's made by a guy uh, Noah Baumbach, whose wife happens to be Greta Gerwig, who is the most visibly snubbed uh, director with um, with Little Women yeah, yeah. that the, the, the Academy has to offer. And uh, gender politics are always uh, a big issue around this time of year, not to mention racial politics, and with Oscars so white, and they're very white this year. But this film really does try to to achieve some kind of parity between the man and the, and the woman, in the sense that some people argue, well, no, it's too much in favor of the guy. And some people say, no, no, it's, it's too much in favor of the woman. And, you know, he plays a director, Adam Driver, and Scarlett Johansson plays an actress. So it's a showbiz story as well. Uh, the director sort of has a kind of power that she doesn't, yet she seems to have more of an edge in other ways. But and I actually, people, people actually argue about it not along gender lines. So it's not as if the women are saying, well, you know, it's too biased in favor of the guy necessarily. Okay, so I and, think and it's, it's, it is like you said, that granular look, though, on a very personal part of so many people's stories. Uh, let's move also to Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, because you've been writing about, uh, you know, the nostalgia hunt. That's this, like lots of old, old memories, old white guys. Um, why is Once Upon a Time in Hollywood filled uh, with such nostalgia um, making such a hit? Well, it's interesting. Like, like Marriage Story, it's also about uh, people in showbiz, but on a very different level. Uh, I think it's, it's Quentin Tarantino's love letter to, to Hollywood. I think it's the most 
sentimental in a good way film that, that Tarantino's ever made. It's There's more affection and love in this film. It's a buddy movie that is virtually plotless, really, except for the simmering uh, Charles Manson and his um, witchy coven of female uh, acolytes. It's, it's in the background of the story and it eventually sort of pays off the ending of the story. Uh, but in terms of the relationship between the stuntman played by... Um, Brad Pitt and the actor played by DiCaprio, it's just an incredibly warm, uh, supportive relationship between these two guys. It's a kind of buddy movie without the usual conflict we would expect between them. And the great reversal, of course, is that Brad Pitt, as the stuntman, as the working Joe, actually comes across as the kind of movie star they don't make anymore. And Leonardo as sort of the put-upon, insecure, um, flaming-out actor worried about his career comes across more as a character actor kind of role. So both, that's for both these movies, though, actually kind of play off each other on that whole deep dive into relationships, don't they? Very yeah, and I think the acting and script in both cases are, are superb, and they're very, very they're nominated in those categories. I think Brad Pitt is a shoe-in to win Best Supporting Actor. I think it's the performance of his career, and it really is kind of like a lead role on a par with Leonardo's. Okay. Uh, Adam Driver is on such a role; he's everywhere, and people love him. And I think he's a very strong contender for Best Actor, with of course his biggest. Uh, Challenger probably being uh, Joaquin Phoenix in, in Joker. Okay. Brian, we got to leave it there. I don't know how you do <laughs> 50 movies plus in a year, but. I don't keep track. You're keeping track. <laughs> I give you a ballpark. I have no idea how many. Okay. <laughs> All right. Brian Johnson, McLean's movie critic and the director for the Toronto Film Critics Association. Thank you. Thank you. Well, the South Korean film Parasite has the Academy's attention this year with six nominations, including Best Picture, Best Director, National Film Post, Chief Film Critic, Chris Knight. Uh, let's talk about this international hit, Chris. And it's not about a virus attacking the world. Parasite, is it? No, although that you, could, you could be forgiven for thinking that with the title. But it's actually quite a, a, quite a funny movie uh, among various other things. It's not sort of laugh out loud all the way through, but it is it is quite a quite a ride and, and very humorous at times. Okay, I've seen it. I, I agree. I uh, and I was afraid to go see it because I thought it would be about a scary virus all over the world. But it's actually something very different and it's very deep about human nature. Why do you think it's resonating like it is? Well, I think this is a sort of picture that uh, it is South Korean, but I think people here can enjoy it. And I think people around the world can and are enjoying it. Uh, I saw it at the Cannes Film Festival and it just knocked my socks off. It's kind of an economic comedy, if you will. So if you can imagine Groucho Marx meets Karl Marx. Okay. Uh, and, and it's about family. It's about two different classes, very rich, very poor. Uh, what do you think we're seeing about family in this movie? Well, I think it's sort of like a, a family sticking together. You've got the Kims, who are a poor family, and the Park family, who are very wealthy. And the story is basically the Kims, uh, there's four of them, there's the mother and father and daughter and son, they all managed to find work in the Park household uh, by sort of disguising the fact that they are a family. And so the parasite of the title is this sort of poor family uh, living off the, uh, the rich family. Okay, well we don't want to spoil it too much for others, but the other one I absolutely loved is Little Women. Little mm. Women. What do you think has resonated with audiences with this beautiful movie? 
Well, I think it's just it's just a lovely story. It's a very old story. Louisa May Alcott wrote the novel in uh, the 1800s, and it's been adapted a number of times. Uh, I think most recently in the 90s. But uh, Greta Gerwig, the director and uh, and writer of the film, apparently loves the story, has loved it since she was a little girl, and uh, wanted to make her own version. And it's so it's a slightly more modern take, I guess. And is it saying anything in this age of Me Too? Is it saying anything about women that is giving us a fresh voice, or should I just look at it as a great historical piece? No, I think I think you could look at it through sort of a modern eye as well, because one of the characters, uh, Sir Sharonin's character, is a writer who's trying to find her voice and make her way in the world, uh, as a lot of people now are. So I think it resonates in the, in that sense, and I think also just the fact that Greta Gerwig is a female director and, and an incredible director, in my opinion. Um, so it's sort of it's got her. Uh, her viewpoint of it as well, which I think I think having a woman tell this story uh, is important for the story. It absolutely was. National Post chief film critic Chris Knight with that look at two in the Best Picture nominees. Thank you for joining us. It all begins with the flicker of an idea. A screenwriter expands it and develops it into a full-blown story. So where do those ideas come from and what do they say about our culture? Bobette Buster is a screenwriter and story consultant who's worked in Hollywood for decades. She joins us now from Los Angeles. Bobette, it's great to have you back on the show. Uh, I'm remembering when you came Thank and you did a me. seminar with us. And uh, I just want to wonder with you, is there anything in these Oscars that reflect God's heart for the human race? Well, I think we're hardwired to be storytellers and we're called to be creators, co-creators and cultivate a garden. And stories represent a sort of a release of a pressure valve on our culture where we're trying to make sense, coherence out of the chaos in our lives. And absolutely these stories that rise, you know, within the Oscar award season and there are many stories that aren't represented here. After all, I mean, it's a field of several thousand films and we're just seeing the top nine for best picture. Uh, they're all filmmakers who are struggling to ask, you know, the big questions of our times, whether it's about evil, marriage, being a good father in the face of trying to achieve your dreams, you know, what is war? And class, class distinctions as we come into a world now that is much more about class war than it is about anything else. So, yeah, I Let, think this is very important to all of us. Okay, so let's talk about one of those important topics, bombshell. Bombshell's up for a number of different mm -hmm. awards. What are, this is the great coming to conscience of Hollywood, is it? Tell us about bombshell and what it's saying. Well, Bombshell is obviously coming uh, out of the whole Fox News and Fox Network issues around the Me Too movement. And it's happening, obviously, as we're also going through, finally, the Harvey Weinstein trial. But there's been a whole season of what they call, you know, the top scalps of media moguls in Hollywood who've been outed for their power politics and bombshell reflects a way to go into that story and see how women are co-opted in order to have career opportunity they have been obviously co-opted for since the beginning of time and certainly since the beginning of television in how they can move forward and women have been talking about this and no one has been listening and that is the big mantra of the me too movement at last people are listening and bombshell sheds a light on that uh, 
you know, it, frankly, it, it, it has these major uh, stars, Charlize Theron, who's also producer, Nicole Kidman, Margot Robbie, and we get a multifaceted view. It's not just one woman against the system, a multifaceted view of how power actually works. And Bobette, it's been like a great corrective, hasn't it? Uh, a great conscience, the whole... Uh... Well, there's lots of... It's a, it, yes, it is a corrective. There's all in the discussion in Hollywood of how, you know, an awareness now of what are what, what, how do we act as uh, adults with each other and what is power and how do we behave in the face of power? It's been a huge consciousness raising. Now, there's a lot of discussion of where do we go from here? How can we create more opportunity? I mean, the Academy itself, the Oscars itself, is still very white and all-male oriented. It's not diversified enough. There's a lot of backlash and anger this year at the, at the, the caliber of the nominees, not reflecting mm -hmm. really what the culture is going towards. Okay, Bobette Buster, thank you. Um, it's actually been uh, an amazing thing to see such a, uh, a huge outcry and, and well reflected then in the movies that these correctives are undertaken. Bobette Buster, screenwriter, story consultant, thank you. Thank you. Well, the hashtag Oscars So White started trending back in 2015, and six awards seasons later, the hashtag is still front and center at this year's awards. With us today, April Rain, the founder of Oscars So White. She's in Washington. April, uh, it's crazy how uh, your provoking on this issue has kept a conversation going around the world. What's delighted you most about this round of nominations? Well, for sure, one of the biggest highlights for me is in the best animated short category. Um, this is a story called Hair Love by Matthew Cherry and produced by Karen Tolliver. And it's just a six-minute joyous film uh, about a dad who is attempting to uh, tame and comb the beautiful wild hair of his young daughter. Um, hair Love is an amazing story. The funding for Hair Love was actually crowdsourced on social media. And and then a book was produced that became a New York Times bestseller, and it was then shown as a film, um, as a preview to Angry Birds 2, and is now back in theaters for Jumanji 2. It's a fantastic film, and I'm definitely rooting for it to win the Oscar in a few weeks. Yeah, in a beautiful way it's been placed in. But the Academy itself, even though making an effort to be more diverse, uh, on the best pictures, it didn't do so well on Oscars So White. The Academy, the membership is still 84% white, 68% male. Have we got a long way to go on, on this yet? We absolutely do. And in fact, the, the numbers with respect to the Academy membership are better than they were when I started Oscar So White uh, in 2015, but not by much. In 2016, uh, for the second year in a row, there were no people of color nominated for any of the acting categories. So that means 20 slots went to non-people of color. And it was then in 2016 that the Academy committed to doubling the number of people of color and doubling the number of women within its ranks. Well, well, they made it with respect to people of color going from 8 to 16%. But when we know that the demographics in this country are much more than 16% people of color, we can see that they still fell short, right? In addition, the largest demographic, the fastest growing demographic of people who are audience goers is, are the Latinx community. And they are woefully underrepresented both in front of and behind the camera and also within the academy. 
Okay. With respect to women, they, they went from 25% to 32%. But again, the American population is nearly 50% women. And we see those numbers playing out with respect to best director and other gender neutral or genderless categories within the Academy Awards. Okay. And as delighted as we were to see Harriet Tubman's role become a Best Actress nominee and uh, a beautiful, powerful movie, remind us why it is so important that we see diversity in our films and diversity taking our highest awards. Sure, and it's not just diversity, it's actually inclusion, which should be the goal. And it's important because everyone, all children deserve to see themselves on screen representing different facets of their experience. Oscar So White has never been just about race. It's not just a black and white issue. It's also sexual orientation. It's gender identity. It's disability. It's age. Everyone from traditionally marginalized communities should have more opportunities in front of and behind the camera. You know, Little Women was a fantastic film, but it's been remade two or three times now. And every time something comes out that's a reboot or a remake or a sequel, that means that an original story cannot be told. And that's what we're talking about. Who is telling the stories and whose story is being told. All right. April Rain of Oscars So White, thank you for joining us. My pleasure. It's a dark and disturbing film whose theme has made it round several times throughout Hollywood history. So does Joker reflect society and our wider culture? Brett McCracken is senior editor at the Gospel Coalition and he joins us from Santa Ana, California. Hey Brett, you tell us that movies are like mirrors, even if we don't like what we see in it. So how does a film like The Joker reflect us? Yeah, um... <laughs> It, it's it's a disturbing picture, I think, in the case of the Joker. Um, you know, the Joker, for those of you who have seen it, is a, a film about the making of a villain. It's a, it's a dark, very dark, very disturbing film um, about the origin story of one of um, one of pop culture's, I think, most iconic villains, which is the Joker in the Batman comics. Um, I think the fact that this movie is one of the most highest grossing movies of the year. I think it earned like a billion dollars at the box office worldwide is fascinating. Uh, and I think that what it mirrors to me about society is that we have a little bit of a um, attraction to these these dark stories. We we have attractions to um, stopping on the highway to watch the, the fiery car wreck. We have attractions to okay, the, but, the news okay. of uh, murders and, and these things happening. But, but Brett, there's, there's, a, there's, there's the theme here in The Joker of bullying and mental health. Like, like as all that dark, fancy stuff aside, I'm disturbed that bullying and mental health has to come out through a character like The Joker. But is that yeah. reality? Yeah, I mean, I think there is that that kind of um, those issues that are brought up and, and rightly brought up. But but yeah, it's unfortunate that they're brought up in the case of the making of a villain, uh, kind of demonizing this character who does, who clearly does have mental health issues. Um, but I think what's more what's most disturbing about um, this film is is that and, and it's, it's kind of, um, you know, has this theme of television and the movie opens and, and closes with looking at TV screens in this kind of um, meta way, right? It's wanting us to, to reflect on the nature of, of TV and movies and watching things. And I think the, the film confronts us with this question of why do we um, love watching these things, these dark stories yeah. unfold on TV? Why do we love 
watching people die on screen and explode and have blood. You're like, what is so fascinating to us, compelling to us about that? Um, you know, when I saw the Joker in the theater, um, the, the movie ends with this kind of shocking act of violence. And some people like cheered, like it was this cathartic release of, I don't know, something within them loved seeing this cathartic act of violence uh, at the end of the film. And it was just so disturbing to me, but it, it reinforced to me what I think this film reflects back to us is asking us these questions. Like, why are you entertained by this? Like, <laughs> what does why, it say about our society? Yeah. And why yeah. is mental health and uh, it really, why is mental health being made to be sport the way uh, the Joker does? Okay, Brett McCracken, that's a tough story to, to look into, but thank you, senior editor at the Gospel Coalition, for helping us understand the worldview we're being fed. Thank you. Thank you. Still ahead, popular but not without protest, the movie Unplanned gets more controversy in Canada than the U.S., and now from a group you wouldn't expect. Well, that song is nominated for a Best Original Song this year at the Oscars, and it's from the faith-based film Breakthrough. But boy, Oscar nominations are rare for faith-based films. Mel Gibson's The Passion of the Christ was a heavy hitter back in 2004. Jason Barbeck, you are the, one of the directors of the Canadian International Faith and Family Film Festival. Yes. Okay, you've helped us navigate this for a while, trying to get faith-based films all the way to the most eyeballs as possible. Six of the nine films up for Best Picture, though, this year are rated R. Why are family-friendly films, faith-based films, impossible to make uh, in the Oscar lineup? Well, it seems that this uh, coined phrase, faith-based, started a little while back in Hollywood, and it started with when Films like War Room, God's Not Dead came out, so there definitely was a Christ-centric, uh, Jesus kind of theme in these films. So I think now when you say faith-based, they put you right in that box. Uh, our festival is faith and family friendly, so we're all about inclus inclusion of these films that's for every age. Um, I think people just get scared and they step back, especially in the, uh, in the Hollywood world. They think, okay, they put you right into a box, you are this and we are that. And it's kind of hard to sort of, you know, blend the two. And against those incredible odds, you've awarded uh, to try to encourage that voice for Hollywood and beyond. Um, unplanned. Unplanned. You felt that deserved the, the top award for your people. Why? It was a fantastic film, and it was uh, really earth-shattering in a lot of ways. And we felt that uh, every year we give a Faith Achievement Award to someone in our industry who's, who's doing this. And, uh, and, and Carrie and Chuck were the perfect candidates for the Faith Achievement Award at CIFF. Okay, let's go now to Los Angeles. Carrie and Chuck, we're thrilled to have you with us. Uh, Carrie Solomon and Chuck Konzelman, uh, you know them from God Is Not Dead, but now Unplanned. Uh, the, you know, you guys, you tackle such controversial topics. If you want to get to the Oscars, do you actually think abortion is going to get you to the Oscars, Chuck? 
<laughs> no, I don't think we were at any risk of being invited. We, no. we were very well aware that we were making a pro-life film and a pro-choice town. Okay, all right, but it has boomed in publicity. Unplanned has boomed in publicity. You're in trouble again for it in Canada. We've just had 44 university professors at a Catholic university, King's University in London, Ontario, say this should not have been shown in the context that it was shown on our campus. What do you say about that kind of, uh, of publicity, Carrie? I just think it's pathetic, to be honest. I think the next letter they should write should be their resignations. This is a Catholic university, and people are saying that abortion is a necessary thing for women and to protect women. How does that protect women or children? I don't understand. But this is what we fight. We fight this every day. Okay, let's talk a little bit about that fight. So what you're trying to do is put a Christian view, uh, a certain Christian view, into the most competitive space for people's imagination, the big movie. Uh, what are the challenges the public should know about, about putting Christian thought into that kind of environment? Chuck, what would you say? Well, it's, it, it's, what's, it's what's arrayed against us. If I was to use Canada as an example, you know, when we first started out, we couldn't find any exhibitors. The movie theater owners willing to take us in. We couldn't find distributors. We actually had Katie Telford, who I believe is the chief of staff for Prime Minister Trudeau, uh, ranting for a, a full weekend before the weekend before uh, our theatrical debut uh, that this had been allowed into Canada. So they're not decrying censorship. They're decrying the failure of censorship to keep this idea out. So let's um, just talk, though, about worldview, because in this week that we're looking at the Oscars, these are the biggest movies that shape our worldview. You guys with Unplanned uh, are just an example that not all worldviews are welcome. And it certainly isn't. The artistic community is not about free speech. So give us your advice for how people who wish their moral views could be represented in the biggest arenas should progress. How, what can we do to support that happening? I think you have to go forward and make the best project you can make. You need to feel the spirit and do what the spirit says. You cannot be guided by men. You can't be running after a statue. You can't be doing any of that. That means nothing to us. What matters to us is truth, love, mercy, truth, justice, the character of the Lord overall. Your next script is already in development. Thank you very much, and uh, great to have you on the program today. Great to have uh, what happens when people like Sif and others all just start rowing in the right direction. Thank you. Your imagination is for sale. So before you give it all to Oscar nominated films, a word about putting belief in God into your imagination. Because God so loves the human race, communication from God to us is always underway if we listen and look for it. Christian media and film takes a community. It takes you in the audience, we in producing. And Context is part of the Crossroads Media family that is supported by viewers like you who want to have more opportunity to have our lives challenged, shaped, and encouraged by the truths of God. Our latest project has been a streaming service, Castle. With over 1,200 titles in it, Castle is free to view. Tap into it at intothecastle.com. And it's free because a community builds it. And when you donate to Context, you're part of building those stories that are giving God's love to a wider audience in our world. For all of us, thanks for joining us and check us out online.
That was our full show that's posted every Thursday on YouTube. Don't forget to subscribe and hit the notification bell to get our weekly episodes and web exclusives.